Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. On today's show, well, I, I like to say he's right across the pond, but um, he is coming way of Liverpool, UK, Phil. Phil is the founder of Billionaires in Boxes, yeah, Boxers, actually. And I just want him to kind of tell you a little bit more about who he is and, and what he does. So without further ado, Bill, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Um, yeah, so... Uh, the first question that everyone always wants to know, so I'll answer it because your listeners will be thinking it straight away, is where did the name Billionaires in Boxes come from? Uh, it, it's it's literally the first thing everybody wants to ask me. Yeah. And the problem with being a podcaster, as you well know, is like, once you put something out there, it's out there forever. So I can't lie and make the story a sexy now because I've already been honest about it so many times. Um the reality is we, we had a podcast for our business, and I'm, I'm sure we'll go into this later, but we had a mm. podcast for our business that was, was working really well and essentially fueling our growth internationally. Um, and then that got picked up by an international radio station, but the radio station already had its own name. So after mm. a couple of years of doing that, we got our first TV series, which was awesome, but we didn't have a name. And every name I suggested, they hated. And I don't mean like they disliked it. I mean like they vehemently hated it. Um, like they would kibosh every suggestion <laughs> that I would make. So it got to the point where I just started to get silly with it. Um, and I just started sending joke names. Right. And I said, uh, billionaires in boxes because we're growing global empires from home and I rarely put on pants. And it was like, boom, that's the name. And I was like, I was joking, man. And they're like, no, no, that's really the name. So anyway, uh, fast forward the first season, got airs across Southern Africa, like 13 million homes. It was really exciting. But everybody started to then recognize me as the billionaires in boxes guy. Nobody knew my name. So at this point, we did a total rebrand of the whole business. So it was now all under the title of billionaires in boxes. Because prior to that, we had like an ad agency of one name, another business of another name. So now we brought it all under because it was a brand that everyone resonates with. And I love yeah. that because it's a name that everybody has an opinion about. Yeah. It, like it means something different to each of them. But in, for, for me, it's still like, it's my sense of humor really kind of getting out there and, and it's it, it kind of shows who we are and what we do i guess so i would think i mean did you guys have an opportunity to do like a photo op in your boxes yet has that happened yet oh so we had to do it for the tv show and it was freezing as well like you you think you think doing a tv show in africa would be great but they made us do it in winter so i was not at all impressed That's um crazy. Especially, and I don't want to go too detailed, but especially because the guy they stood next to me was a, a black South African guy. And I'm like, listen, if I'm going to have to wear my boxes next to this guy anyway, at least I'll make it cold. You know, like this is, like, you're just bullying me here. You know, That's like crazy, this, is, this, is, this is totally unfair. Someone give me a banana or something. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, so, so if you had to define yourself in, in, in three to five words, what words would those be? Oh, what three words would they be? Uh, I definitely got to have crazy in there. 
crazy is definitely one of the first words that comes to mind. I think most people find me pretty crazy. Um, I'm very energetic, um, spiritual. I'm very okay. spiritual. Um, it's a big part of who I am and um, and everything. Um, I'm a people pleaser. That's what I am. I'm a people pleaser. I am a connector. I'm a people pleaser. That's what I like to do. It's funny that you brought that up. I mean, as podcasters, as we well know, I mean, we're always constantly developing content to give back to our audience. Mm -hmm. So the, the fact that you're a people pleaser makes perfect sense that you went the route of creating so much content to digitally create and influence people remotely and hands on. So, so you know what? I have to I have to confess that wasn't why I started podcasting. Yeah. Um, uh, so that ended up being a really awesome byproduct. But mm. even today, I wouldn't say it's it's still like a major focus of ours. So for me, the power of podcasting, and I'm sure you've got this as well. As I'm, mm. I was listening to some of your episodes from season two, you know, just earlier today. Mm. So you've obviously been doing this for a while now, and you, you you're reaping the rewards. So you and I both know the secret of this, which is that it's essentially like a backstage pass to your industry. The guy that won't give you five minutes on the phone to pitch your services will give you sixty minutes on a podcast to build a relationship. Um, you know, you're, it, it's, we do something called level up networking. Like if you want to level up and, and you want to be dealing, you want to be seen at the table, you know, think about high school, you want to be at the cool kids table, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be with the keynote speakers and the authors and the guys who are always on TV talking about your industry. Now, how do they get there? Well, the reality is they get there one of two ways. They know somebody or they were pitched. They're, they're the only two ways that you were there. And the joy of this is that you can now do both using podcasting so you could build the relationships with the people so that now you are one of those people who know somebody and you can also use the content to say hey mr editor of this newspaper for my industry i recently did an interview with one of your journalists it was awesome take a listen see what you think yeah 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 so i mean you, you got the, the, what i always call it the cross multiplication between the, the multiple the multiple media outlets all from the source of having a podcast so let's, 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 let's take it back right so let's just go back like further yep. further way 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 back like how the hell did you even get into this this space of, of media or get into this space of branding and content development entirely accidentally um so i i'm a surveyor by trade um, so working real estate and construction and uh, went and did my Royal Institute Chartered Surveyors qualification here in the UK. And that was, for me already at such a young age, that was already my second career because prior to that, I'd wanted to be a football player. So for you, a soccer player. And I had a really good shot. Like I was, I was at all the academies. And then when I didn't get my professional contract at 16, I moved and started playing in Central Europe. So my dream of playing for Liverpool was kind of gone, but I could still pay, play professional football. So I was doing that and then I got injured and I basically, my, my shin bone basically has the consistency of dried spaghetti. Um, yeah, man, it sucks. So that was the end of it. That was, and I tried coaching, but it, I, I didn't get the same buzz from it at all. Mm. So I had to go into the world of business. In fact, you can see how shallow my thinking was because I only did real estate because I wanted to work on football stadiums. Mm. Like, it's like, okay, if I can't be on the pitch, then I'll be building the pitch. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to be involved. So I went and did this sports qualification. And now whilst this is happening, I wasn't ready to leave the world of sport entirely. You know, it'd been my whole life since like six or seven years of age. So I wasn't ready to leave. Yeah. And what was just happening was fan content was just starting to become a thing. So fans were getting on podcasts, usually using something as primitive as like Skype to record like a one 
audio track, like six people talking all at the same time, one of you breathing like Darth Vader. You know, back in the days when podcasting was like old school, it's almost like sitting in a tin shack with a microphone that sounds like it was recorded on like a 2002 Blackberry or something. You know, it, it was awful, awful stuff, man. But the point was, like, I was somewhere in between fans and the players because I knew some of the players. I knew the story. I'd been through the setup. I, you know, so but I, so I had a bit of inside knowledge. Now, you got to remember, this is before the time that chan- uh, fan stations and channels were really doing all the behind-the-scenes footage on the websites. Like, this was still a mystery. Like, if you wanted to know what went on behind the scenes at Liverpool, you'd have to stand on a bin and look over the wall at their training ground and see what you could see. Like it was, it was still those days. So got into podcasting, but what I didn't understand was why we weren't making any money from this. I was like, we've got X amount of listeners. Uh, we're doing live stuff, match day stuff. Um, you know, why can't we get a sponsor for this? There must be people that will be interested in talking to a, a demographic of mainly men, middle-class working income. No, they like sports, particularly like Liverpool between the ages of 18 and 45. Like if this was any other world of business, I'd be selling that data. So yeah, definitely. Let's sell it. So we started making money from it, and and I grew and sold those two sports podcasting networks, um, which I loved. They basically ran like radio shows. They had regular shows, regular hosts and guests. And by this point, we now had press passes for pretty much national, international, and club-level events um, because we were now being seen as one of the media, which is just hilarious. Um, But I guess that's where it came from, if I'm completely honest, um, was – if I'm now having to go head to head with these journalists, like I, I might as well try and understand better what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of got into uh, content production and TV shows and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But once I left the corporate world um, to go and set up on my own, and many business owners will be able to relate to this, I'm sure, uh, I was very naive. I kind of thought I got to board level in my early 20s. The phone's just going to ring. <laughs> Customers mm-hmm. are going to find me. Uh, and it sucked. That is not what happened. I had two clients. I had one who'd been a competitor of mine, and I think they only worked with me because they were sick of being on the losing end. And the other one had been my former employer. So I, that just felt like I was working from home now. That didn't mm. that didn't feel any different. In fact, if anything, they now gave me more stuff to do. So I didn't know how to win new clients. I didn't want to cold call. I hated it when people cold called me. So I didn't want to, I don't want to do the telemarketing and stuff, but I didn't understand enough about social media marketing to do it that way. What I did know was podcasting. And I knew that with podcasting, if I could talk to managers of Premier League football clubs mid-season on a fan-based podcast, I can talk to CEOs of companies I want to talk to on a business-based podcast. So made a list of the top 100 companies I wanted to work with and invited each of their CEOs onto a podcast. Fast forward three months, we now have 21 people working for me full-time globally to deliver these contracts because I now have more work than I know what to do with. And in fact, at this point, I genuinely have the opposite problem. I'm now worried that I've bitten off more than I could chew. Hmm. That, that's, a, that's a hell of a, of a journey, right? I mean, you're talking about kind of... Oh, you fell into it. Oh, I like soccer. Oh, I'm going to do this. And then now yeah. you're like, you have 21 life. staff. It's crazy. So it, yeah. it's, it, I think that's like a, a hell of a story to tell because I think a lot of people kind of, I always get the question like, well, how do you monetize a podcast? And I'm like, there's a million oh. different ways you can monetize a podcast. Yeah. It just, you just got to kind sure. of stick to it and at least do it and do it routinely. And for you, your niche was you found the core 100 
and you target them. And I mean, essentially, just if, even if you got 10% of that 100, that's 10 contracts that you would have mm-hmm. that could easily be six or seven figures annually over and over again. So I just want people to understand what sure, you just right. said was a gem. You just pretty much gave them the damn blueprint. They got to rewind this video and watch it again. Brother, honestly, it, and it still works so well to this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and that's just your podcast. Like, that's not even looking at the guest strategy, which is like, there are people who are paying money to do courses, to learn how to buy, to, sorry, how to build email marketing lists. Like build a list of 100,000 of your ideal clients that you can get 2% open rate from when you mass mail them. You know, or you could go and appear on two podcasts that already have an active organic audience of 50,000 of your ideal listeners, get introduced to them, add value, show them what you can do and inspire that reaction. So someone's going, this is the stuff that this guy gives me for free. What do I get when I pay him? Like, yeah. That's that's the feeling you want to give out on a podcast. It's an authentic look. I'm going to give it you. Here it is. It's the same with our starter pack. So we have this. Um, I mean, I'm not pitching, but we have this starter pack. Um, Eleven. It's heavily discounted. Eleven hundred US. It's two strategy sessions with me plus a recorded blueprint podcast that I do afterwards. Now, with that, we're working out who are you trying to talk to. Let's do the guest strategy. Let's really get down into where are this audience, and then we map out: Are you talking to them directly? Are they going to be the audience of the podcast? Do you need to influence their influences? Like, which way are we going to take this in terms of your strategy? Plus, you can repurpose it and all that beautiful stuff. But then we get you on three podcasts as well. One of them's ours, um, and that's like 350,000 listeners plus the two global radio stations that we uh, that repurpose our content. Then we actually get our booking team, my podcast publicist team, to book you onto two podcasts, right, within your industry. Now, I always say the same thing about this package, right? It's heavily discounted. It shows you what we do. That strategy I'm giving you is like the Richard Branson mindset. You know, the whole train you well enough that you could work anywhere, but treat you so well that you don't want to. It's the same kind of principle with what we do with our starter back. I know that I'm giving people the roadmap that if they wanted to go and do it for themselves for the next 12 months, they can. But I also know how highly it converts because people see my team, see what they're doing and go, I just leave it to you guys. Like you guys know what you're doing. It's working. I'm making money. I'm growing. I'm getting keynote speaking gigs. I've got a TV deal. It's it's a real game changer. So I think you you, you kind of slid right into like the, the predecessors to my next question. Like I mean, obviously you have this this huge online presence. You have the billionaire in boxers network. I would call it. Mm-hmm. So. Like the services, right? So I think you just listed off one of the core services, and that's mm. I think underneath your influencer packages. Yeah. Like what what other services do you have that partner with all these different things that you're doing in that one pack? So it kind of grew again, it kind of grew organically. So when people first started coming to us, it was, Hey Phil, can you teach me how to do that? So our coaching side of our business was the bit that came first because it was to show people how to do it. But then people are lazy. So you teach them and they go, this is great, but it's also a lot of work. Could you just do it for me? Like if I pay you every month, could your team just do it for me? And that's where our done for you service came from. But for some people, having their own podcast isn't actually even necessary to their success. Like if, if you don't want to, so think of it this way, your podcast is about networking and about leveling up. Other people's podcast is about sales and lead generation. So if you don't feel like it's necessary for you right now to be leveling up, if you've got your online courses, you've got your products, you've got whatever it is you're selling, you just need more people to know, like, and trust you, then a guest booking strategy is probably all you need. And that's where our podcast publicity side of things comes in, which is a let's work out who you need to speak to, where they are, how do we position that? 
And then obviously we work with partners in terms of a lot of PR agencies, as you can imagine, and a lot of uh, marketing agencies we work with as well, mainly because they then repurpose the content. So each podcast can be repurposed. I mean, an hour-long podcast can be repurposed in 10 one-minute clips, 10 static images, a couple of blogs, uh, posts, a couple of audiogram videos, and a few teasers. I mean, you've easily got 20, 25, 30 pieces of content from that one show. And the great thing is, it doesn't even have to be your show. You could repurpose a guest appearance. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people don't. You just get another golden jewel and a nugget in itself. Is like I always preach about: start with video first, and then break that video down. You could transcribe that video and turn it yep. into blog articles. You could strip out the audio. And to your point, each one of these elements, you could take tidbits and snippets and times them on top of themselves, and you'll go mm-hmm. from nine pieces to eighty-one pieces, just like that. Mm-hmm. So, diving diving a little bit deeper into like your business model, right? So. Like, are you more so an S corp, a C corp, an LLC? Like, how is that business structured? So we're a limited business registered out of the UK, but we also have two other um, businesses that are kind of parent companies, if you will. They're, they're part of the network, but head office is still here in the UK. One of those is in South Africa, uh, and one of them is in North America. Um, and just for to be perfectly honest, for tax reasons, it makes it easier when you're trying to do that. Um, the vast majority of our business still comes via our referral network and our affiliate network. It's still like the number one thing that we do. I mean, think about podcasting, even it's just like the base level. It's, it's pretty easy to say to a podcaster, listen, I'm going to be talking about this thing at the end that we're offering to customers. It's really great. can add loads of value and it costs X. We're doing an affiliate where you get 10% of anybody who buys using this link for your podcast. So I'll give you a link for the show notes and just, just yes, push sir. it out there. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If it's really going to add value to your audience and it's going to help, of course you should share in the reward of that. Um, But if you're busy, you know, I say your vibe attracts your tribe, right? So if you're busy networking on podcasts with people that you vibe with and then it gets to the end of a podcast and say, listen, I'll chuck you my affiliate link so anybody who buys, you can get a slice of the pie. By the way, is there anybody else that you think I should be talking to either as a guest or to appear on their podcast? As you well know, all podcasters know other podcasters like them. And it and it's not an industry like other people where we would see each other as competitors. Because the thing is, when people listen to podcasts, the way our audience engage, they're not loyal to just one brand. They don't just listen to one podcast and never listen to anything else. If so you've got to rethink your strategy. Okay. If your idea would be, I wouldn't want to do an event with the CEO of my competitor because I'd be giving him secrets. I'm going to call giant BS on that one. Because let me tell you something. (laughs) He has people in his audience that don't want to buy from him because they like what he says, but they don't resonate with him as a person, just like you do. Mm. So you two doing an event together is adding massive value. It's showing solidarity within the industry. It's sharing best practice. But there may be people in his audience that go, I like Phil. I'm going to go work with Phil. And there'll be people in my audience that go, that's the guy I want to work with. And they're going to go that way. So both of our businesses benefit from this. And that collaboration piece is what makes podcasting so powerful. You're making it rain. It's like, listening to you, it's like, I feel like I'm in a strip club right now. And I'm just seeing like the money is just flying. <laughs> like, I'm just like dropping all of you. So, um, obviously you've been on a journey for, for, for a long time. And some people have mm-hmm. not even heard of you, right? And, mm-hmm. and when they do Absolutely. hear about you, they're like, oh, my God, he's like an overnight success. But the reality, it probably took 20 years to get there. How long on your journey have you been on this road to get to where you are? So, 
so I've been I started sports podcasting twelve years ago. Okay. Um, I've now done ten, over well over ten thousand hours of podcasting. Uh, we're now at the stage where we manage fifty different business podcasts, numerous radio stations. Again, about double that number in terms of podcast publicity. And then we have fifteen satellite television networks that we supply their business content for globally as well. So none of that stuff happened overnight. I'd say realistically, billionaires in boxers to where it is today has probably been about the last five or six years. But what's been quite interesting was I had another business on the side that, if I'm honest, was still my cash cow. Like billionaires in boxes is my passion business. It was the business that I did because it was the one that's fun. We're making good money, yes, but I never kind of wanted to scale it to this massive height because it was it was my passion project, right? My main business that was making the money was the talent business, like my headhunting firm. So I kept doing it and kept doing it, and then COVID happened. Now my headhunting firm specialized in cross-border surveying opportunities. So you can imagine how many of those were happening during a global pandemic. So my business not only went from 30 to 60K a month quite consistently, it, it dropped off completely. And now I was owed about 40,000 in invoices from companies that were saying, we can't afford to pay you the project's ground to a halt. And I was like, okay. So billionaires in boxes suddenly wasn't just my passion project on the side. It now became the only project that was actually doing it, doing well and making any money. Hmm. Um, because my other main business was now gone. So at that point, it was a case of, well, okay, how can we plug into this? And what I found, I mean, even just within television, for example, what I found was that television people don't trust mere mortals to create content for them. They feel like there's a massive divide there. That scares them. They wouldn't go to a YouTuber and say, create content for me. That terrifies the life out of them. They want somebody who understands television to bridge that network. So having worked in television and had my series and done some production before, I approached the number of networks that I knew and said, it's becoming more and more expensive to buy reruns of series. You can't get into the studio to create new content right now. What are you showing on those times? I was being told, Phil, I've got like 150 hours of satellite um, this month that I need to fill. Like I'm in so much trouble. Like we're going to start losing sponsors. We could lose our license. We could lose the hookup for the big network. Like people were panicking. Hmm. And in return, they were coming to me saying, can you create content? Now, I could create my show, but God, like, it's going to be like, I don't know, I'm going to be on every day, like six o'clock news is going to be ridiculous. So I started saying, well, actually, I know a load of great business owners who have great podcasts, and have great connections. Yes. We could turn that into video and we could now almost like a, have like a panel style discussion where they're doing interviews that way. And that's exactly what we did. And we have, that's now led to 15 plus networks. But again, it's, it's solving the problem, right? Because people... People like to see problems and nobody ever likes to think of the solution. And that really bothers me. They always want somebody else to think of the solution for them. Um, so a great example would be, because it's one that anybody can, can relate to, right? If you are seen as a keynote speaker, paid or not, doesn't matter whether you're paid at this point. If you are seen as a keynote speaker at your major industry events, especially if you've not paid to be there, that helps you with your sales and it helps you with your credibility because you're on the stage, right? If everybody else in your industry, let's be honest, at your level has paid a couple of thousand bucks to be at an event and you're the dude on the stage, you win, right? It's, it's, it's that simple. So people go, oh, how am I gonna get, you know, how am I gonna get to that keynote speaking thing? How am I gonna get this? How, you know, maybe I could get a publicist and they could put, and it's like, don't be so lazy. It's like, you know, the answer is out there straight away. So here's a great one. 
reverse engineer it. Stop thinking about what you want and start thinking about what the person wants that you want something from. Nice. Right? So great example for that is on the podcast, and this is a strategy we use all the time because it works a treat. And I've talked about it before, but I, I hope to God some of your listeners embrace this because it will change everything. I promise. Work out what your top industry events are, the big exhibitions, the ones that are going to put you on the stage, right? And six to eight months before the event, contact the main event organizer and invite them onto a podcast to come and talk about the event and give them an opportunity to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. You're already in the good books, okay? You're going to build a relationship with this person. One of three things is going to happen at the end of that podcast. Number one, worst case scenario, you're going to get free VIP tickets. That's worst case. Next one is, can you do a masterclass for me? Can you come in and do a workshop for me? Could you come and do something for me? Or we'll give you a free exhibition stand. You can come and do some stuff. Great. Also win. Third one, and there's the jackpot, is I want you to come and speak for us. We're still booking speakers. Come and do that. Here's the next bit you do. Because you're such a great guy, and it's purely out of the goodness of your heart. You say to them, I think this event, and only if you do, by the way, don't lie, but I think this event could really help people. I really do. So what I want to do is help to publicize this. So could you put me in touch with the other keynote speakers and main sponsors of the event? And I'll talk to them about why they got involved in the event and really kind of help to publicize it. Well, the event organizer loves you at this point because you're doing a massive chunk of their job for them. But what's actually happening here is that anytime anybody searches any of those keynote speakers' names, the sponsors, or the event, your podcasts are being found because of the way you've keyworded them up and released them. You don't even need to attend that event and you look like the expert for an exhibition you didn't even go to because of the people that you've interviewed. But what happens? You've now leveled up, haven't you? The people that you're now networking with and speaking with are keynote speakers. They're leaders in your industry. They're people who you're wanting to be working with. Your vibe attracts your tribe. If you talk to enough of these people and you get on well with them and ask that question I gave you before, who else do you know that I should be speaking to with this? In a matter of weeks, sometimes months, usually weeks, you have now been introduced to a whole new group in your industry that are a few levels up further up than you on that ladder but they resonate with you and you resonate with them and you can add value to them and they can add value to you because i'm telling you and, and nobody gets this until they really experience it this is this has been such a game changer for so many businesses business is a team sport okay it's business your success comes down to your ability to recruit the best people for your business both internally and externally so as a striker, I don't want to teach you to defend. That's pointless. I want you scoring the goals. I want you at the other end of the pitch. So you be a striker and go and partner with some really great defensive people. You know, you're a content producer. You're not about sharing it. Go and, go and partner with someone who's all about sharing and reaching new networks and reaching people, but wants somebody to be fueling them with the content to make that work. That's a partnership made in heaven. And that's just one little simple thing. And, and, it's so easy to do with this, and, and this is what I really want people to take away: is if you if you get yourself out there, these things happen. It's not magic. It's not luck. It, it's it's reality. Yeah, strategy. I mean, I think you just you just dropped a fifteen minute master course here on a podcast, and I don't think people. I think some people would. Again, I always say this: I want people to to really stop. You don't have to listen to this entire podcast in its entirety. I want you to take what he just said and section it off and listen to it and then take actions on what he's saying. And, and what he's saying is a hundred percent legit, right? I mean, if you want to be a part of the big boys club, then you find the big boys or you find the people associated to the big boys and you try to befriend and work with them. 
bottom line period. It's, it's the rule of numbers. If there's 300 people, you contact 300 people and then you get a small percentage of those 300 people. And by getting that small percentage, it will multiply and you will get more people because all you have to do is get three of them out of the 300. Mm -hmm. And then those three will give you three more. That's nine mm -hmm. plus three. That's 12. So forth and so forth. It's, it's yeah, like cool. compound interest when it comes down to network. That's so exactly that's exactly what it is. That's a that's a great way of using the analogy. And, and actually, in terms of the content as well, I mean, I, I I made a sale last week from a guy who contacted me on LinkedIn. I'm paraphrasing his message now, but it essentially said, "I've just listened to a podcast that you did in 2017 with this guy," and I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "Everything that you said was going to happen with marketing in the podcast industry happened. I think I should work with you." He literally turned into a client because. He'd heard a podcast I'd done years ago, realized that what I said came true because I know my industry, just like you know your industry. This is the thing. You don't need to know everything about everything. You just need to know about one bit. Just go and give that one golden nugget because the way that I see it, and I'm sure you do, every time I have a con conversation like this, if I can take a golden nugget and give a golden nugget, how much have we grown by the end of that year? You know, Our network is solid based on people who are going, that guy's awesome. He taught me this and it helped me. Um, you know, my attitude towards giving stuff away is like, it's like an iceberg, right? You give away a bit and then you, you've got the rest of it there to, to kind of sell yes. people. But my attitude is that there will be a lot of business owners that listen to this that, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, right now they couldn't afford my services. They couldn't afford a few thousand dollars a month on a retainer to get this done. But implementing the stuff that I'm telling them is going to take their business to the point that now they can. And now they can imagine where I could take them next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely. I mean, I definitely appreciate the insights that that you're you're dropping. So th th this 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 pull this part a little bit more, right? Mm. If you had an opportunity to go back at any time in the last twenty years or so, what's one thing mm. you would have done differently if you could do it all over again? It's a good question. Um, I'm kind of superstitious, so I don't think I'd change anything. Actually, mm. um, I mean, the, the, there's some things that obviously come to mind. I mean losses of money and trusting the wrong people and stuff like that but i think all of it is led has led to a lesson or a relationship i mean if you look at something in isolation and say it sucked when i lost 60 grand on that contract it did but actually i built a relationship with somebody that i'm still working with to this day as a result of the fact that that happened so um it was a it was a former investor uh, to one of these guys' companies, and he screwed them over too. So we actually ended up bonding over the fact that we've been screwed over by the same person. And we're now far surpassed our losses and, and then some. Um, so I don't think I would. I, I, I really like where we are right now. I think we're on a really exciting journey, and, I, and, I, and I'm still, like, I'm enjoying it, but, like, I'm so far off where I want to take this. It's unbelievable. Um, like, other people look at it, and they go, it looks awesome. It looks so great. And it's like, it's it's a mere shadow of what it's gonna be, you know. Um, my my aim is to empower a billion entrepreneurs. I've made no secret of that, and the way I'm gonna do that is through that empowering content. And I want to introduce the best of the world to the new emerging markets and help them to develop their businesses with the mentorship and the, the right skills and the right credibility. And you know, I've I've made no secret of the fact that. I'm going to take billionaires in boxes to being the world's number one most recognized business broadcast network. Um, I'm loving every minute of it. So I wouldn't change a thing, man, because it might I might be in a different place, and I, I really like where I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that answer. I mean, it definitely it oozes with confidence, but it also oozes with the fact that you you know that you're on the right journey. You know you're on the right path. There's no hesitation definitely. in anything that you're saying. So I mean, you're 100% focused, and that's like the key to real success is being 
100% focus on a particular journey. Like I just finished reading um, Deep Work and it kind of talks mm. about that, you know, isolating into one thing and being able to be productive for a period of time over mm. a long period of time is where you're going to get the real results. So I definitely commend you on that journey. And I look forward to seeing you, that achievement happen, man. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Well, Thank you, man. And, and you know what? I, I really, I love it. Like, I, I genuinely, genuinely love what we do. And, and mm. what you've just said there about the path is, mm. and being on the right path, this path is way too random for it not to be the right path. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I worked in sports and I did a surveying qualification. If I was working in one of those two fields, you, nobody would bat an eyelid. Nobody would question it because it makes perfect sense because that's where I came from. But to have taken bits out of both of those you know, careers and learn some, something from it and then build an entirely different business is now all about broadcasting and, and big business publishing. I mean, for, for me, it's about, I work with SMEs, I work particularly with small and medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Now, I've worked with some of the biggest businesses in the world. I've worked with some massive sports clubs, you know, uh, rugby federations, cricket federations. I mean, we're talking international sports sides here. Mm-hmm. And I much prefer the smaller guy. And I'll tell you why, it's, what we can teach people and what we can do for your business can take people to the next level. And it does take people on a regular basis to the next level. I much prefer that to be someone who I can physically see the difference. Mm. You know, I can see the relief of stress. I can see that they now have a smile on their face far more times than they used to. Mm. Um, They've got a bit of a tan because they went and played golf over the weekend instead of stressing about work. Like these are all beautiful things for me. You know, uh, Phil, I'm not going to be around for the next two weeks because I'm taking my family on vacations. Like that, that pleases me more than you will ever know. Because I remember when we first started working together and you were almost sacrificing sleep for work, let alone talking about a vacation. Um, so I, I love that. Rather than being 1% difference in a night or an apple or just something really minuscule that is, is reflected on a spreadsheet somewhere, great. You know, I'd rather be the guy that takes a business from being the best kept secret in their industry, help give them a stage and a platform to share their experience and share their voice. And then their organic customers find them and they end up finding themselves working with the people who are right for them. They appreciate their services. They pay on time. These are good customers because you found your tribe of people. Mm. And, you know, there there will be lots of ways of doing this. There'll be loads of ways of doing this. I'm just teaching people the way that I use that works for me and that works for my customers. But there will be other ways of doing this, you know? So it seems like it's ingrained in you. I mean, it almost seems like it's part of your DNA, like the hustle mentality, the business savviness. Does that come from anybody, like predecessor before you, like a family member? I mean, where are you getting your hustle from? Is it genetic? We were broke, like broke, broke. Um, So for the vast majority of my life, I was born, I was raised in a single parent family Mm -hmm. on benefits in a government house um, with a disabled mother. So like we were like broke. (laughs) Uh, And from a very young age, I had to start working. Now, for me, it was always, you know, I I was always trying to think next level up because the only thing I had to deal with there was my hands and my time. Like that was it. That was all I could give. So you could get a job stacking crates or something, and that's not much fun. So I was always trying to think of ways of turning one deal into three or four deals. Nice. Um, so a great example of that would be one of the first jobs I ever had was strawberry picking because I was I grew up in a, in a rural area. So I went to a farm and then a strawberry picking thing. And the job was to sit in this little wooden hut for about $2 an hour or the equivalent of 
after school for several hours in the evening, whilst people would drive past, they'd come and pick up these little plastic cards and they'd go strawberry picking. But what I realized was that people like my mom couldn't go into the field and go strawberry picking because they couldn't get the wheelchair in and they were disabled or it wasn't level enough for them to be able to go in with a stick or on crutches or anything. So I started to say, well, what if instead of just sitting here, I collect strawberries as well and we sell full crates of strawberries? You know, could I get a slice of like if it's if it's three dollars to sell it, could I get a dollar for having picked them? And it was like, okay. So I started doing that. But then I started to get my friends involved. So I started to say, hey guys, listen, if you come down and, and just pick some strawberries for me, I'll do you a, a wicked deal. You can eat as many of them as you want while you're in the field. Like go nuts. But like you pay for this and I'll give you like fifty cents per every one that you do. So by this point, I'm making 50 cents, they're making 50 cents, and I've got all my mates just getting fat on strawberries. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, I have to cycle home from this place, and it's about a mile and a half, and I passed loads of people on that road on the ride home. And I know there's loads of elderly people who live there that don't have a car. What if I knock on the door and ask them would they like me to deliver some strawberries to them? It's $6 a crate, uh-huh. and I'll blah, 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 blah. So I then pay the $3 to the farmer, he'd give me a dollar back, 50 cents for me and 50 cents for the guy who picked it. I then drop it off with the little old lady on the way past and she'd give me another $3. That's this is just on the way home. Yeah, that's ingenious. I, 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 but it's, it's, you have to start trying to think outside the box. Like when I, when I went to university, um, again, I, I went in on a scholarship, but the scholarship covered like a little bit, it covered your tuition and a little bit of living costs, like not enough to survive by any stretch of imagination. So I was thinking, you know, I don't want to live in one of these crappy student houses. That sounds awful, but I was like, you know, I've just come from a world of football where even at the age of 15, they had me in a five-star hotel. Do you think I want to live in some like student bedsit thing? Like this sucks. Like I don't want to do this. So I went to a relatively nice area and I basically struck up a relationship with a, a, a letting agent who'd been struggling to let out quite a large house. And it was a seven-bedroom house, and it was like fifteen hundred bucks a month rent. Now that's a lot of money. Even even back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, what if I sublet it? Like you would never have to be responsible for the money. All the money will come through me. I'll make sure that everyone pays. If anyone's ever late, I'll cover their bit until they pay, which did happen on a few occasions. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that you are always paid as the landlord, as the owner of the property. And I'll take care of the rest. Like, good deal. And he's like, good deal. So I went back to my friends, many of whom I knew had were had sort of, I want to say, quite wealthy parents. So that they were, they were, they could afford to live somewhere other than the student halls, kind of thing. And I said to them, "Listen, I've got this house. Why don't we split the rent? The rent's two thousand a month, not fifteen hundred. But it's two thousand a month. Let's split it equally each way, and then we're all sorted. Plus, we'll take you know twenty percent extra for bills, and then we're all in, aren't we?" I lived rent-free and made a profit off where I was living in this gorgeous, massive, big house where, of course, I had the biggest room and the ensuite. Uh-huh. I lived completely rent-free. I lived with my mates. We basically had a great time. All the bills were paid, and I made a profit. So I was making a profit living, right? Had everything paid for, and then I went and got a job. So everything I earned could go straight back into other things. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think you definitely have uh, the philosophy. I always kind of refer back to um, 
like the founding fathers of Apple, right? Steve Jobs mm-hmm. had an opportunity working with Atari to create, you know, that particular game. And then mm-hmm. he kind of outsourced it, right? He outsourced it to Waz and he told Waz it was X amount, but he made like 10 times the amount. And Waz was completely happy with making like the couple hundred bucks when Steve oh, yeah. made like 10, 10 fold of that. So I mean, outsourcing it and, and using a creative way of not finagling, but moving the money around is definitely um, thinking out of the box for sure. You know what? I think a lot of when we talk about outsourcing, sometimes people think about like lesser quality and things. But I think one of the big problems that most people have with outsourcing is think about like Fiverr and Upwork and things. Mm-hmm. The reason so many of those relationships go sour is nothing to do with the skill of the person delivering whatever it is they're delivering. Mm-hmm. It was the spec and your ability to project manage them. As a business owner, if you don't you don't know what you don't know. So if you haven't mm-hmm. found the solution that's working yet, you know, think of these people as sounds awful but if you think of them as a computer that it will do exactly what you put in and command it to do to the letter Mm. well you have to know what you're doing to be able to instruct that if you don't you're just going to teach it away that's not going to work and then shock horror it's not going to work yep um so actually there's nothing wrong with outsourcing i mean like uh, take my editing team for example Mm. i have a great editing team the vast majority of them are in india but they're all very highly qualified audio engineers. In fact, I've got people with masters in, in audio engineering on my team. I couldn't do that in the UK or the US. That'd cost me a fortune. But I yeah. could do it there. And I am the bridge. I am that gap. I am the person that sets the high standards, shows them exactly how this is going to be worked out. And then they go away and do that work to the letter. And they do a phenomenal job of it. As far as the customer is concerned, they got exactly what they asked for. Exactly what they asked for. In fact, the reality is our services would cost a lot more if these people were in the UK or the US, because I'd have to cover that cost. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely. I mean, again, it's another golden nugget that, that you dropped, and I'm I'm recapping in my mind what you said, and I'm like, yeah, it's 100 true. So let's jump into like your family a little bit, right? So yes. you, you're talking about that you came from a single family household. Now you're yep. older, right? So yep. how do you currently juggle your work life with your family life? So I work from home, so that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two small children and my wife. I uh, met my wife when I was living over in South Africa. Um, so we lived all over the world together. Um, and she homeschools our kids because we travel and we like to travel. So we are together as a, as a unit of four. They're my, my core team, if you will. Um, and, do you know, I think one of the best things I ever did was setting – time like in, in my calendar before anything else is in there my family time gets put in there you know dinner with my family gets put in there my yoga time with my girls gets put in there helping them with schooling gets put in there doing something creative gets put in there having set days off with them that they know okay daddy's definitely going to be off on sunday because he's always with us on sunday mm. um and being strict with it and not actually doing any work at those times like that made a big difference because prior to that i think like many people I gave them the time that I had left or in between work and mm. it was always clashing. Like I'd want to come downstairs and play with my daughters because I have an hour free and my wife will have just started something with them for school and be like, you can't just come in and distract them and play with them for a bit. They'll be finished in an hour. And I'm like, well, I'm gone again in an hour and then I'm gone back upstairs into the office for another three hours. Kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'd say that was a big one was setting that time and making sure you set those boundaries because you've got to remember why we do this stuff, right? We we do this to provide for our family. So, you know, don't get so swept up in doing the providing that you forget the family bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
So just diving a little bit more in, into your personal side, like what are your morning routines, your morning habits look like? So it's an interesting one because I had to find out exactly kind of what works well for me. Now, the reality is I work uh, internationally. So I have clients all over the world. In fact, I have my team all over the world. We literally have the team in uh, US, Brazil, Ireland, India, Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the UK, and I swear there's one more. I feel like I've missed one. But there's, there's, there's loads. We're all over the place. So time zones for me aren't really a thing, <laughs> okay? What I did notice is, though, whenever I set an alarm in the morning, I don't sleep very well. I'm one of these people who wakes up to see, like, how long have I got until the alarm goes off, and I, mm. I track my deep sleep, and I realize that I don't get a lot of deep sleep when I have an alarm set. So instead, I don't officially start work until midday UK time, so it doesn't make any difference to me whether I wake up at 7, at 10, at 11. It makes no difference. I give my body as much sleep as it needs. I do not set an alarm. I will wake up naturally. That's a that's a big one. Then I'll start with Tony Robbins priming exercise, which is all about setting my intention for the day, thinking about what I'm grateful for. You can find all of that stuff on YouTube. You just go and search for it, Tony Robbins morning ritual or his priming exercise. It's all about connect to that feeling, connect to that winning feeling when you're smashing it and you're grateful and everything's flying and then build from there. And if I ever need to stop during the day and meditate, I I, I will. I'll do that. You know, that's a that's a big one for me. Yeah. So I think you just gave like a, a solid segue, and it's kind of like a little twist because usually what I always hear is that someone would say potentially they would work out. So you said yoga, right? I would usually hear mm. someone say they'll read an audio book, but what mm. you're saying is that you would listen to um, Tony, right? And obviously anybody mm. that knows Tony knows that Tony could drastically change your day if you just listen, takes actions for five to 10 minutes. So yep. because, of, because of these little nuances, I decided to create like a, a Boston Cage book club. So awesome. what books are, have you read to help you on your journey? And what books are you currently reading? And what books would you want to recommend that I could offer to, to that audience as well? That's a great question. Uh, there's a lot, isn't there? So, um, okay, rattle off a few books. Way of the Wolf by Jordan Belford, good sales book. Talks about yes. his straight line persuasion technique. I like that. Now you could take. He says it very clearly in the book as well. You could take those skills and use them for negative as well. But actually, if you use them in the right way, which I hope people will, mm. it could be a very powerful way of helping your customers to see the potential of what you do compared to their problems. So stop pitching. You know, here's the technical spec of what it does. Normally, you pitch the transformational aspect of here's the problem you're having. This is the solution you want. I'll sell it to you. Mm. Um, and I think that's a good one. Um, there's a guy called Daniel Priestley. He's a, a an Australian guy who now lives in, in London. Uh, he runs uh, Dent Global, very talented business acceleration business. Um, met Dan a number of occasions now. Actually, makes him very similar circles. So, but actually, what was fun was I got to meet him after I was a fan of his books. I'd already read all of his mm. work, and then nice. got to meet him, which was pretty awesome. Um, so it's a bit like a fangirl um, <laughs> when I met him. Um, but he's a nice guy. I really like him. He's got a lot of time for him. And he knew about my podcast, which I just thought was, was awesome. Um, I was like, I've read your stuff. And he's like, I like your podcast. And I was like, hmm. yeah. yes. See? Winning. Um, but yeah, so he does a book. He, it's, it's like a sequence. And it's like you go through them. They're business books. But the first one um, that I would highly recommend is called Entrepreneur Revolution. Hmm. And it's essentially about how we're moving away from the industrial mindset of 
go to school, go to college, get your degree, move to the city, get a job, work there for 30, 40 years, get your pension. And it's much more about it's going to be our ability to be flexible, work with customers. You know, if your market starts going bad in the U.S., don't work with the U.S. You've now got the ability to work with wherever. You're a boutique agency that there's three or four of you at your core, but you can scale to a team of 20 when you need to big projects because you've got that network there. Um, so I'm a big fan of Dan's work. So that's that's a very good one. Um, the other one, which is a, it's a bit odd, but it's the it's called The Book of Joy, and it's by the Dalai Lama and uh desmond tutu bishop desmond tutu and it's basically an interview between bishop desmond tutu of south africa and the dalai lama two people two very different religions mm-hmm. obviously spiritual figures in their own right and it's them as old men talking about their life and what they've learned and what they've seen and the people who they like and they get onto things like nelson mandela as a character behind the scenes and it's just it's a fascinating book but what it does do is it, it you know that, that stuff when people say, you know, enjoy every moment, enjoy every sandwich. It's not just a sandwich. It's the room. It's the people. It's the connection. It's the fact that you're here right now. Yeah. It's a great book for helping you to kind of take stock and look at what you've got and go, actually, you know what? Like, not only is what I'm living right now somebody else's dream, it was also my dream once upon a time. And I think it's it's nice to be able to stop and remember that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm definitely putting that on my wish list. I mean, I'd like the, the fact that you're saying it's like the Dalai Lama, but he's talking about like the global influencers. It's kind of an interesting, definite twist. It's a great so, book, dude. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely going to check that one out. Um, so in addition to that, I mean, what tools are you using right now in your business that you would not be able to do your business without as far as software goes? As far as software that I couldn't do without, I don't think any, because I deliberately have two backups to everything that we use in case anything ever changes or goes down. So I don't think we'd ever be in that position. But there's a tool that I want to share that that I use and and most people don't use it. And and they certainly don't use it for the stuff that I use it for. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a website. Anyone can access it. It's called alsoask.com. Now that's my accent. So also, you know, ask, Mm A-S-K-E-D.com. And it's a reverse search engineer tool that if you put keywords in and your location, it will tell you the most commonly Googled questions to do with that search term. It is a godsend for content creation because, you know, you can, you've got a guest coming on who specializes in automation for business, you know, start go and search automation for business in the U S and see what comes up for the questions. You've already got a handful of questions you want to use. You know what stuff you're going to write in the description. You know roughly what you're going to title this thing so that it searches it well on keywords. I mean, this thing is, it's an absolute goldmine. But it's also been really useful when it comes to things like um, designing strategies. Like when we're doing podcast publicity, uh, you know, we're trying to work out with a client, okay, who is it you want to speak to? How is it you're going to speak to them? Once we figure out who those people are, the next thing is to understand what are they asking? Where are they looking? What problems do they need solving? And this tool is phenomenal for that. Yeah, it sounds, you know, sounds great, like a great, great way of doing that. If you're, let's say you own a boutique marketing agency, mm-hmm. right? A great way to do that is just to search for boutique marketing agencies or for small marketing agencies and then let them auto populate the beginning of the question. Hmm. What's the best lead generation tool for small businesses, for small marketing agencies? And you're like, oh, they're all asking about lead gen. Great. So guess what conversation I'm going to go and have with people? Yeah, it sounds like, sounds like a solid tool. It kind of reminds me of, are you familiar with Answer the Public? Uh, I am, yeah. 
it's kind of like there there's some similarities between it but it seems like yours is more niche down to give you a direct Definitely. response on a particular niche market and answer the public is more global so i think in a combination between those two mm. monsters oh i see i think you could do a strategy between those two if i hit his yeah. strategy it doesn't involve podcasting at all mm. you could do you could do two things with those questions that don't involve any podcasting interviewing or blogging right Number one, you could create short videos for your website answering the questions. They're going to rank really high on Google. You're going to get loads of traffic for your website. Awesome. There's one job done. Great. Next one is you can take those questions and you can turn them into posts because you know that people in your industry are talking about it. Mm -hmm. So use them on your social media, you know, or go on to to Quora and answer answer the questions. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know that your industry is asking for these questions. So go and, you know, do the Gary Vee thing where you try and give the most valuable answer and be the most interesting person in the comments. Do that on Quora and on Reddit and on all these places. And anytime your ideal customers start to search for you, they're now going to find your podcasts, your videos, your That's website, true. your answers. I mean, it's it's taking care of business. It is, it is. And to your point, I mean, you have to add a little sprinkle of some cuss words in there to give a little characteristic of, of your personality in there to get a little edge. Yes. Oh, yes. of course you You have to show you, right? You have to. Yeah. But this is the point. It's like, if you know that these people are answering this, like mm-hmm. if these are the questions from your industry, and this is something I should really stress, if these are the questions from your ideal customers, you should have a burning desire to want to answer these questions. Yes. Because if they're truly your ideal customers, mm-hmm. you should be going, oh, I know the answer to that so badly. Remember when you're in school, and you'd like try and use your other arm to push your arm up even higher mm-hmm. so the teacher would see you trying to get your attention. Like, big man, I know the answer. <laughs> you should be doing that, you know? Like, that yeah. should be what we do with your customers. Like, yeah. they're asking these questions on Quora or on Reddit or on podcasts or on YouTube oh. or on LinkedIn. You should be wherever they are answering the questions, showing your personality, your character, your flavor, and adding value. And the people who think you're a Muppet will avoid you. And you know what's great about that? you shouldn't have been working with them anyway because they're not right. on your path. The people who resonate with you and go, this dude's cool, I'm going to check them out because they know mm-hmm. what they're talking about, there's your ideal customer right there. Yeah, I think it's funny that you brought that up because part of creating that book club, I was realizing that I was trying to push people to read one book per week because knowing mm-hmm. that the average CEO reads 60 books, so that's about 52 books in that ballpark. But mm-hmm. I got the pushback. I'm like, why are we not doing a book per month? And I'm like, well, the reality is you could easily segment your day to get an hour of reading time, whether it's 30 minutes mm-hmm. for breakfast, 20 minutes for lunch, and another 40 minutes for dinner, you're, you're well over an hour. You times that by seven days, that's well over seven hours of content that you consume. The average business book is about seven, eight hours long. That's mm-hmm. how you read a book per week. So to your Absolutely. point, I mean, it's definitely kind of understanding what people are asking questions about and then creating that content and facilitating it is definitely golden. Um, well, what what I used to love about authors in particular was I'd, I'd read their book and having a podcast network, the, the very next thing I could do is contact them and say, hey, I'd love to talk to you about your book. I've just finished reading it. Yeah. Do you want to come on? And then I get to ask them the questions that I want to ask, as well as combining it with the questions that other people are asking. And now it's a really massive value add interview. But I've got, I got to ask this person firsthand, right? Okay. You know, when you were talking about this bit, that's the stage where I am right now. So mm-hmm. this is what's going on in my business. You know, what would you do given the opportunity again? What kind of things could you do that actually really took you from this level to the next level? And I get to I get to learn firsthand. It's like a it's like a private mentorship session Jesus. that I'm gonna share with the world. It it really is. It really is. And I think it, it kinda of, for me it becomes like a drug. 
Because like every time yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I got Phil today. And I look at your background, I'm like, dude, I can't wait to get on this damn podcast. And it's like, I'm mm. sitting in front of my computer twitching, dying for the opportunity to have this conversation. And it never fails. It's like every single time you get a request or you get the right, and you look at their background and you know they know what they're talking about, to your mm -hmm. point, I'm going to be able to drop something, but I know you're going to drop so much more. And we're going to have that synergy to where the audience listening and hearing our conversation is like, oh my God, take notes, stop, rewind. So definitely. You're so um, right, dude. You're so right. Yeah. So, what final words of wisdom? Let's say uh, um, a 20 year. Matter of fact, this, I'm going to change that question. Let's say mm. I'm 45, 50 years old. I'm stuck in corporate America. I'm ready to make a change. What words of wisdom would you give me to jump out of corporate America and continue my entrepreneurial journey? Oh, that's easy, brother. That's, that's so easy. People, particularly of that demographic, uh, and I'll talk to them directly. You remember the days where a handshake was more solid than any contract, you know, seeing the whites of somebody's eyes. It wasn't what you knew. It was who you knew. And business hasn't felt the same since it's all gone all automated and online. And it's all about retargeting campaigns and lost its personal appeal. If you're nodding away to this, that market hasn't gone. It's now just on a podcast. You can still have those relationships. You can still have those connections and build that, that community around you. It's now just online. And the great thing with that is you get to repurpose all of that content and all that great stuff. But the thing is, if you don't even know what you want to do as a business owner right now, you should still be doing a podcast. And this applies to anybody. If you're a 20-year-old kid who's just left college and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. The world's in a crisis. There's no jobs. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay? You know what you're passionate about and you know what you're interested in. So go and start guest appearing on podcasts. Start listening to podcasts in the industry. You will very soon learn what problems are being experienced by the industry, what solutions they need, and the ones that you can solve and resolve, there's your answer. That's, that's your starting place. Okay, It's about how can I add value to that audience of people that I want to work with, and it will all grow from there. Great, great. I mean, like I said, I said you never fail, man. You just and The thing is, I want the audience to understand, right? Like, it, this conversation seems like we've known each other, <laughs> but today is the first day that we just met literally before we got on air to create yeah. this podcast. Yeah, but yeah. once you're in like-minded groups like this and like-minded people, the shit just makes mm -hmm. sense. It just yeah, makes perfect it sense. So, well, it was like, it was like the, the green room beforehand, you know, the virtual green room is before. Yeah. We literally had five minutes because it was like, listen, we've both been doing this a long time. We don't need a big preamble. Let's just get into it. So people are listening to our first conversation for the very first time. We haven't even had a pre-call with this. Nope, no pre-call. And, and I prefer it that way. I mean, a lot of times you get people to say, hey, this is getting a call before. And I'm like, we got to get the edgy rawness. Let's just get on the damn podcast. Let's just do it live and figure it out as we go. We may have some stumbles, but in the reality, we're going to figure out who we are, and that's going to build sure. that friendship moving forward. So... How can people find you online? I mean, obviously, you have like a network, an expansive international network. So, like, what's your mm. website? What's your Facebook profile, Instagram, so forth and so forth? I'm sure, sure you're man. You can, right? you can find us all. Uh, they'll definitely be in the show notes below, but you can find us all on billionairesinboxes.com. Mm. Uh, in fact, if you just search billionaires in boxes, you'll find most of our stuff. I also have a very, very unusual surname. Um, which is Palucha, spelled P-E-L-U-C-H-A. So if you just Google Phil Palucha, you'll find all of my social media feeds. Come say hey, however you see fit. I'm most active on LinkedIn, but you can pretty much catch me everywhere. 
Cool, cool. Do you have any like particular offers that you want to put on the air? You know what, brother? I I would honestly tell people that I would start with the starter pack, and I, and it, we're only in February, man. I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're only kind of mid February right now, and I'm already having to consider taking the starter pack down, and we only started it just before Christmas mm-hmm. because it's a heavily discounted pack that shows people exactly what they can do. It's been great, as I said earlier in the show, for kind of that lead conversion and, and, mm-hmm. and people kind of coming in and sticking around, which I think is really powerful. I love that. Um, but at the same time, we are getting so many requests for it. I mean, I, I got literally just before I got off the phone with you, I got off the phone with a PR partner mm-hmm. who said that they sent an email around their customers and got 10 inquiries back for a booked call with me for this week. That's one nice. of our partners. Um, so look, I love it. It's great, but it's not going to be around forever. Um, 1100 bucks will give you the strategy, get you introduced to the BIB network, which usually gets you some customers on its own, um, and then gets you booked on two hot podcasts. And as you well know, brother, it's never just two. Like each person that you meet will know other people like them. So it's a, it's a, it's the start of a very exciting journey for you and one that can create a lot of content, a lot of relationships and a lot of success. Definitely. Definitely. So going into the bonus round, right? I, I, I got a, like a jambalaya of different bonus questions. The one question mm. that you probably heard me hear, heard me ask before is one that I'm always going to ask because I know that your answer is going to be hundred percent original and it tells about who you are. If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why? See, I have a very personal answer to that, and it, and it is a, a very honest answer. Um, I was raised uh, by my grandmother rather than by my, my, my parents for the first like 10 years of my life, mostly because of my mom's disability. And then my grandmother sadly passed away when I was uh, sort of preteen. Um, it would definitely be her. No, there's, there's, there's not a... If I had the option to talk to anybody dead or alive for 20 minutes, 24 hours, 12 seconds, it would always be her. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely... Um, it's kind of weird when I ask that question because some people may say Malcolm X. Some people may yeah, say yeah. Einstein. Some people may say my wife. Some people may say someone has passed away. And it's a very eclectic... Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's one of my favorite questions because it kind of gives me a little bit more insight to who I'm interviewing and what mm. is valuable to them. For sure. I mean, she, she was the person who introduced me to meditation. She was the person who introduced mm. me to spirituality. She was a very spiritual woman. Um, I think a lot of my ethics and morals that, that run through the heart of my life and my business all came from her. Um, so yeah, the, without, without a doubt, that's definitely like going to spend time with. Cool. Definitely. Cool. So, Going to the next question, right? Um, what is the most significant achievement that you've was able to complete to date? And I always say for all parents, we all know our kids are our greatest achievements. So outside yeah, of your kids, not right? That one, okay, outside yeah. of your kids, what's your greatest achievement today? My greatest achievement today. I don't know if it's my greatest, but it's there's certainly one that I'm most proud of um business wise um i got approached by a company a number of years ago and they were a marketing agency based in the north of the uk small agency and they said we're desperate to move into the emerging technology field we want to start working with vr mixed reality ar ai the whole the whole shebang right but they do nothing about it nothing so they said but we know that you're a connector we know you've got this thing why don't you come and help us so I partnered with them um, and set about interviewing all the top VR people that I could find. 
And I basically found out in the space of about four weeks, what's wrong with the industry, <laughs> where the problems are, what the industry is pushing towards, what they're waiting for, and what nobody likes. So from that point, you've pretty much got everything you need for a conversation. Next person you speak to, you go, listen, I know most people are sick of this stuff, but what do you think of the HoloLens coming out later this year with the iframe stuff? And they're like, and it's like, great, awesome, I'm getting all these answers. But what I was getting was a load of information. So the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that six weeks after having started working in VR, having never worked in it before, not only had I now been flown to China by the British government, I was being paid by the Mobile World Congress to speak as a keynote speaker on their main stage. This is sandwiched in between Microsoft and Sony. Nice. The year before, Zuckerberg had been on this stage. It's an oh. event. In, it's the biggest tech event in Asia that attracts over 200,000 visitors over the space of two days. And everybody in that room listening to me had paid $2,000 to be there and was executive level of the tech company. Six weeks after working in VR, right? I went on stage and I pretty much told them what I had been told by the industry. This is what the people are saying. This is what your consumer is saying. This is where the gap is. This is what I think you should do about it, which <laughs> is essentially what I did. We won a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of business in that room just immediately after the talk. And I'm sure people can find this story online if they really want to. But immediately as I was coming off the stage, this giant guy just was marching towards me. And all, all joking aside, I thought I was getting chucked out. I thought my presentation was so bad that security's come to remove me. <laughs> uh, and this huge guy just was marching towards me, shakes my hand, puts a business card in my hand, shakes my hand and says, I have to go now. I like you and we should work together. And he left. I sat down and checked the business card. He was the senior vice president for Microsoft Asia. He was the person responsible for their HoloLens project, their VR project. And that was how we started working with Microsoft. All from this room that I was paid to be there, paid by my British government to fly over, provided I just said, thank you for the British government for sending me. Which, by the way, just gave me even more credibility. I was essentially speaking on behalf of my government. On behalf of the people of Great Britain, here I am knowing nothing about this industry to tell you all what to do. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's humbling hearing that story because I think the point is that you have to start somewhere, right? And I'm hearing your stories and I'm like, this dude has like legendary epic stories. And there's probably somebody listening right now is kind of like, I'm about to start my podcast. But the mm. reality is that, that one podcast could compound mm. into a world journey. You just have to kind of stay on that path. I mean, I started mm -hmm. my podcast originally, I think it's about a year ago this month. So mm -hmm. from a year ago to where I'm at right now, right? It's kind of like it's night and day difference. But where am I going to be two years from now, three years from now, four years from now? You just got to be consistent and stay on that path. And I'm happy I've crossed paths with you, right? I would not have mm -hmm. met you otherwise. Oh, it's so true, isn't it? But look, it's the I think podcasting strategy is so different to business strategy because with business strategy, you have to stay focused, right? You have to you have your goal, you get on with it. But if you wear blinkers during a podcast strategy, you miss so many golden opportunities. I mean, like I, I didn't know that doing a, doing a partnership with a company in the north of England who only have UK and European clients would lead to Shanghai, which would lead to me working with Microsoft Asia in China and all these businesses in Singapore. And I still do loads in that region even to this day. I have, I have a really good relationship with the emerging fintech market out of Singapore who are competing with the established financial market of Hong Kong. 
I have so many contacts in this place. It's unbelievable. All because of podcasting. So I, I am so with you. I just, I wish, I wish that people would embrace this because the reality is it's not going to be like this forever. I mean, no. it's kind of where Facebook was 10 years ago where you can make a lot of money organically and, and really build that crowd. But just like Facebook and everything else, pretty soon, you know, Spotify and iTunes are going to start showing this to 10%, 20% of your audience. And you're going to have to boost posts to even be able to speak to the rest of your followers, mm -hmm. which again, is why my focus is not on grow the audience and sell to them. Mm -hmm. It's make money through the relationships and through the leveling up and through the networking with the people um, and the business, the relationships and the partnerships rather than the audience. Because at some point, Facebook, Spotify, whoever, they're going to take that audience off you and charge you to talk to them. But if your yeah. power is still in that networking and that conversation, you're still winning. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, this is, we're going into conclusion of this particular episode and, you know, obviously you're a fellow podcaster, so I'm going to give the mm -hmm. microphone to you and give you opportunity to ask me any questions that may have arrived while we were talking. So the floor is yours. I love it, man. So, so where, where are most of your listeners at the moment? Let's do a, a mini session. Where, who are you talking to? So, Looking at my analytical data, I'm talking to essentially some similar audience to you. I'm talking to middle-aged mm -hmm. men currently right now, and I'm trying to breach more into middle-aged females. Yep. All right. Okay. So let's do, let's reverse engineer that then. So okay. uh, and let's do it. Let's do it on the podcast. I think it'd be useful. Yes. I have uh, an affiliate program, a partnership program. Mm -hmm. uh, we pay ten percent for the lifetime of a customer, and um, that they for the for as long as they remain with us, essentially. So if they're with us for three years, you get paid every month for three years. Um, we give ten percent. Uh, it works really nicely, and it's a good way of, of referring business. I imagine there are people you know who could really vibe with this and it would work well for. Mm -hmm. um, in return, I have a number of people, including that run you know, women-only professional services bodies. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, good good friend of mine who I actually met again through podcasting, uh, Marie Diamond uh, of The Secret Movie. Uh, obviously reached like 500 million people. Marie's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Marie runs global events uh, such as the Global Women's Conscious Movement, which is all about female empowerment and, and rising yeah. business and in life and being as successful as possible. So I can plug you in with a lot of those people straight away. You want to speak to more of those people? Best way to do that is to get you as a guest on their shows to talk about what they're doing and indeed bring some key figures, maybe even like Marie, onto the show to talk about what they're doing because they will have guests that naturally, sorry, they will have audience that naturally follow them and will stick around and enjoy your stuff. So if you're keen on that, man, that's what we do after this pod. We exchange those details and I'm happy to make those introductions. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big opportunity person. If opportunity knocks, I'm going to kick open the fucking door and be like, come on in. I'm not going to hesitate. Oh, cool. I'm not going to look through the peephole. So by all means, definitely. Let's, let's just get let's it. Do it, man. Let's do it. You see that right there is a real life working example. So all we've done right there for anybody listening to this is this would have been the end of the discussion. Once we finish recording, this is the conversation that we would have had. But we wanted you to hear this so that you can hear for yourself that this is the cycle. This is what happens. It's that amazing ultimate speed dating in the green room where it's like, here's some key facts about me. You give me some key facts about you. You have a conversation with them for 30 to 60 minutes. And if you vibe together. After the end of that call, you go, I vibe with you. If you vibe with me, then let's figure out how we should do some business together. Yeah, sounds like a win-win. So, I mean, I definitely appreciate you, you know, reaching out and having taken the time out your busy schedule to get on the show. I think you definitely give a lot of damn insight. You made, like I said, I felt like I was a strip club. You was making it rain literally every single time you, <laughs> you spoke. So I definitely appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Be happy to come back. I hope your audience really have taken 
a lot of value from this and, and take it seriously. Many people will only get this when they first start doing it. They go, ah, that's what they were talking about. But anybody who's not sure or wants a couple of pointers, either come talk to me about my starter pack or just come ask me a couple of questions that are burning and I'll be happy to help. Perfect, man. Thanks again. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.